Honestly, you're not my friend. And I don't give a warm shit what you think. This is the Extra Hot Crate Podcast, episode 79 for the week of July 20th, 2015. <laughs> I am Vampire Proof Skylight Blah, David T. Cole, and I'm here with Infected Wife Sarah D. Bunting, Zach, Insulting Wig Tar Ariano, Oh, I'm not fooling him. And Long Stinger Omar Gaiga. Pardon my neck hose. <laughs> <laughs> Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's too early. Everybody it's too soon for this. Alright, got some site business at the top. I had a lot of problems with a very simple word in that intro. That was like the fourth time we recorded it. And that. then he just changed it. <laughs> I just overwrote Omar's intro. It was for the greater good. Alright. I'm gonna put that word in my little Dave. tag every time now. <laughs> Here we go. We got some uh, site business at the top of the show. One shirt still available. You gotta get your bull pillman shirt. Yeah, you Speaking do. of stupid Dave things, <laughs> it's it's the shirt form of the mouth error that uh, took the world by storm. It's a bull uh, dragging an old timey wagon from the apothecary to the village filled with oversized pills. Yep. Just the way God wanted. All right, minis are back this week. Finally, we're back after some, uh, you know, timetable considerations that made us cut them. They're back. And also, following up from the uh, canon snafu last week, we have recovered the Parenthood canon audio. Oh, good. Our apologies to Laura, who got in contact with me and said, I think that is mine, and indeed it was. So that's back in the hopper. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look forward to that in the future. All right. Omar, welcome. Thank you. Sorry about the intro. (laughs) You know, if you throw a really tricky word at me, like lengthy. Lengthy. (laughs) Well, now you get it right. Now I know. Meanwhile, apothecary. He's fine. Sure. Length Lee was uh, a really great martial artist back in the 18th century. (laughs) And that's why I was getting confused. Anyway. Yeah, so today we're talking about The Strain. Uh, Season two is here. Omar covers the strain for previously.tv quite ably, Mm -hmm. I may add. Yes, I do. Um, So season two is here. Uh, First, Omar, can you give us like your sort of bird's eye view of season one? Was it a success? You know, did it have problems? The answer is yes to that second one. But let's hear from you. (laughs) Yeah, the strain uh, is based on a trilogy of books by uh, Guillermo del Toro, the filmmaker uh, from Pan's Labyrinth. And uh, another guy, Chuck Hogan, I believe his name is, not to be confused yes. with Hulk Hogan. Um, he, they, so they wrote this trilogy of books basically to make a TV series or series of films out of it. Like they wrote the books with that in mind. So they're very visual. Uh, I haven't read the books. They've also been adapted into comics. But my understanding is that the show, at least in the first season, followed it pretty closely. Um, it's about a strain of virus that turns people into sort of undead vampire zombie hybrids. Uh, bombies, as they're called on the forums, mm. and uh, <laughs> they take over New York. A, a jet plane lands in New York City, and everyone on the flight is infected. They seem to die and then come back, and that's kind of where the story takes off in the first season. It started off pretty strong, and uh, I, I know you weren't a big fan of the uh, special effects, Dave, but um, it did have an interesting look. It definitely had some of Guillermo del Toro's obsessions with really gooey, ugly yeah. kind of effects. Yep. Um, had an interesting cast of characters but then it sort of went off the rails maybe about seven or eight episodes in uh with just an overload of this family drama that story cole's 
uh, Corey Stoll's character had. Um, the effects kind of seemed to drop off a little bit toward the end. And wait, I think the, wait, they got worse? <laughs> well, <laughs> the, yeah, the very, very uh, toward the end of the season, you saw the master, the, the, yes. the big giant head vampire, and he looked like a rubber chew toy. He, he looked do- ridiculous. He still does. <laughs> he looks like um, And he appears Clem? to be wearing sweat socks with like a bodysuit <laughs> over it. Yes! Like, <laughs> That's yes. a perfect Thank you. analogy. Thank you. Well, no, that was that was one of the the like minor vampire yeah. dudes, but like oh. the head, the big giant one. Okay. You know like what I'm talking about, yeah, though, yeah, right? Yeah, it looks yeah, like yeah, the when I Monty clipped up. the Wonder Woman aliens, and they're obviously wearing like a gym outfit with like a great body sock over it. It was that. I mean, he he wants to get a little bit of workout in well in between. <laughs> now the master is the one that next. looks like Clem from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, sort of. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, you're right. So that reveal of the master toward the end of the season really kind of broke the mood quite a bit because it was okay. like, oh, that—that's what we're <laughs> yeah. what we're afraid of that that ugly thing. And this season, they've done very wisely kept him back in the shadows. They they they're not showing him every episode. They showed him once in the first episode, kind of messed up from being out in the sun. So at least he's melted down a little bit. At least that's a little grosser than what we saw before. So I think uh, this season it's been a little stronger because they've they've kept the master away from front and center. Uh, they've kind of bumped up I uh was it Icorn, the the Icor- Nazi guy. Eichhorst. Eichhorst. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> I recap it, I forgot. <laughs> uh so the, and uh some of the characters like Fett, uh who's kind of a fan favorite, they've they've increased his role a bit. They replaced the child actor who plays uh, the son. Oh really? Weird. Which is yeah, hilarious that- because it was the old kid in the previous lease. And it's like, and now here's this one. Bye. And if they yeah. replaced the first one because he was terrible, uh, mission <laughs> failed. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're trying to steer that character toward being kind of an angrier, jerkier little kid. And maybe the, the previous kid just was too nice to do that. Like, they yeah. couldn't get anger out of him. <laughs> but this kid's just a snot. This kid is just yeah. obnoxious yeah. and whiny and angry at his dad all the time. And it's pretty one note so far. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's improved from the first season just in that uh, it seems a little bit tight, more tightly focused. It's not going all over the place like the first season did. And I actually am a fan of the flashbacks. They did a lot of stuff in the first season um, in uh, concentration camps. And this season they did a big flashback in Vienna. And I think those are done really well. I think when they go back in time and show Abraham as a young man, those are cast really well. They, they tend to get really good actors for those flashbacks. And uh, they, they're convincing. I think those flashbacks That's- work really well. That's because they really learn from one of the greatest shows on television as far as flashbacks and Nazis are concerned. And that, of course, is Zero Hour. (laughs) God, I miss Zero Hour, guys. (laughs) It was so bad. Oh, you're the one. Before we get into season two, I just have to add, if if you've never watched The Strain, it may only be known to you as that show with the hideously disgusting billboards. Oh, the eyeball, yeah. I don't know if they made it to... New York, Sarah, but in LA there was one that was like right around the corner from our house and it was the one with the like the eye pulled down and the worm coming out of it and like people were upset like upset about it. Nah, like, the worm's going in it. Okay, well either <laughs> way, worse. either way. <laughs> and this this year's it's like it's, the, it's a head barfing worms or something because <laughs> yeah. I've seen pictures of it on the internet because people are like I'm just trying to drive places with my child. Like this is not okay. They had to take yeah, down I haven't the, seen the I haven't seen any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, their relationship to New York, like I was doing some location spotting because they're like panning over what's supposed to be Red Hook. It was oh, actually yeah. Gowanus, trying to like see my brother's like business, which is in Gowanus, and then they misspelled Throg's Neck. Like Google that <laughs> shit. Hello. Oh, cool. so maybe they just don't put the posters in New York. Maybe it doesn't uh, test well here. Can we know. talk about the location typography for a moment? 
uh, in, I don't know if it's... On the Chirons, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when they introduce a, a location. And they're doing the sort of, you know, classic teletype sound effects. So when it comes in, it's like... Like it's supposed to be like, you know, coming in on the wire. Except the font is not in any shape or form a machine font. It is just some like, you know, it's slightly like a comic distressed book typography, typography sli- font. No, it's not even that. All it's right. just like a slightly distressed uh sort of block font. Uh it makes no sense that it's accompanied by a teletype. It is also like kind of all askew too. It just it, it makes no sense. It 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 really bothered me as as a as a designer. So uh come on, strain smart. I think and he, this may be the answer. I'm not excusing it. I agree with you. But the font looked familiar to me and I checked and uh my brother, whose business is called King Killer Studios, is in Gowanus, it's a rehearsal space, but he found some font that was called like I don't know, Ripper, oh. like t- named after some murder and to do something, some flyer. And I think that's the font. So maybe that's. Oh, so we're why. now in the we're in the J.J. Abram, Abrams thing where the alias font was called Top Secret. And that's how it probably yeah, came across. Yeah, basically. Right. Damn it. Yeah. All right. They were like, oh, all right. this sounds good. Ripper. Font yeah, talk. let's use that. <laughs> all right. The fact uh, that Throg's neck just has one G. Who cares? Like, guys, you can't. There's always going to be a couple people who are like, well, now I'm annoyed. The extra G is for extra gross. Well, not only that, but then when they actually show the locations, it could not be more Toronto if it tried. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I forget what what some they were like outside something hall. And it was clearly Massey Hall where they CGI'd the the sign. But anyway, yeah, the uh, special effects in uh, both practical and computer generated are still pretty terrible uh, in this show. Uh, the obvious, the worst offender was the naked mole rat <laughs> guy <laughs> who really flashback. just really had like toilet paper wetted and put it on, put on his uh, <laughs> legs and then sent out. Paper Mashambi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, it was uh, like a, it was like baggy leggings. And then there's that scene, which maybe the billboard is based off where the master vomits a, Shitload of worms. Shitload of worms is putting it mildly uh, in somebody's mouth. Uh, and it really, it was somehow both computer generated and like did that super fakey hose next to the other side of their mouth from the camera thing. You know, they do for barf scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty amazingly bad. And um, there was a green screen that rivaled like some of the worst on television I've seen where they're just going into like a uh, a fitness center. And the entrance was all green screened. And uh, yeah, I well, saw, they, in my notes, I put Olympus because yeah, that's how bad that it really was. was. It's probably because the background of that was like a giant bank of Montreal. Oh. So they couldn't show it because it's supposed to be New York. <laughs> no doubt. But it was just like, wow. I mean, with all the stuff they could do with computer effects, how can they still have such terrible, you know, matting and, and whatever it's called, uh, you know, the green screen work, you know, with the chroma key work? You know, it's just like terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, the other thing though, I found that watching this after, you know, basically almost a full season of, of, of not was how all the scary, spooky monster ticks actually, I found kind of funny and not scary at all. And they just seem to be like, there's no consistency to it. Like sometimes the monster's eyes are sort of like, um, Honda civic modded red LEDs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then sometimes they have uh, 
like um, vertical eye slit eyelids that they blink once in a while. Not often, just to really punctuate a point. They're actually more, uh, I don't know if the eyelids have anything to do with moisturizing the eyes as much as they do with punctuating a sentence. Like it's almost a language <laughs> tool rather than an actual piece of biology. The sideways uh, blinking. You yeah. yeah. Um, the There's a scene where a bunch of blind kids are turned into like zombie dogs which I thought was really funny. They're supposed to be like creepy, you know, the whole kids turned into something creepy thing, but they were just kind of funny to me. Well, the other part, well, and their with- chaperone. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the other problem with that storyline is that their master is the evil vampire Kelly. Like, it's not a scary name. Like, call her Anastasia or something, but they're, they're like, here are your children, Kelly. Like, Kelly Ripa. Not a scary name. All right, sorry. I will deliver them to the soccer match. Go ahead, Sarah, you were saying. I will, and that entire, um, like clump of characters first of all could not have been more canadian in pronunciation indeed second of all excuse me are we at the quarantine zone like whatever happens to you that's bad you deserve it because you're dumb shits yeah uh, well, yeah. in defense of this show, <laughs> no, uh, let's go. I actually think it's it's like big goofy summer fun as opposed to something like True Detective. But it's not. Are, but but it's not fun. There's not. It one is more fun than True fun Detective. Not that yeah. that's saying much. No, I, I'm having fun with it because I, it, the show knows that it's not super high quality. It, it, it's goofy. It knows that it's trying to do you know a big gross monster movie type feel to it, and and I don't. I think it doesn't take itself as seriously as say The Walking Dead. Yeah, I it's also really just, like Kevin Durant. Like, yeah, yes. he's delightful. I want him to do well and get paychecks. Mm-hmm. Is he Michael from uh, from uh, Legion? From your favorite movie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's in. Vikings. I don't know. He is, uh, he's one of the tremors from Smoke and Aces, which no one saw except me and the guy who directed it. He's the guy with the goatee. Yes, he's yes. the guy who can't swim. Yeah, he's Harbar Vikings. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. I don't agree that this show is necessarily having fun and uh, is aware of its its self, or at least those two things don't seem to jive. Uh, Very, like, there's not one character on this show that isn't grumpy. And while that is realistic in the setting of the show, I mean, who's going to have a lot of, you know, fun while a zombie, you know, vampires are running around? Uh, It wouldn't hurt for the viewing audience to have some moments of levity and I, the closest thing that they came to it was like the swimming scene, which was just kind of weird. I also take your point, Omar, from your post on the series premiere, which are the season premiere rather, which was it's, they need to do a better job of establishing exactly how much of a calamity this is because it seems like some people are just going about their daily lives like nothing is happening. I was confused about that, yeah. And other people are like, you know, fortifying their actual buildings so that vampires can't get in. So I thought that still isn't something after episode two that I think has been established well. Last season, they yeah, there was like literally monsters on the streets in traffic, like killing people, and then all of a sudden we're back to just normal press conferences and TV coverage like nothing has happened. So yeah, I think that's an issue is how much of a disaster is new york city i mean they've sealed off stuff but it seems like everything is still business as usual within the boroughs so it's yeah it's 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 not a great show <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> show but i'm having a lot of fun just watching how far it'll go and and i mean i i do get creeped out by even some of the bad effects uh some of that stuff still is the guy barfing the worms into his mouth like that was genuinely like a stomach turning scene it's just like what didn't look that great but it still had like an effect 
So you're, I mean, well, I agree with you. The Foley there. design is extremely squishy yes. and vile. <laughs> Good job, right. guys. Yeah. Speaking and, of vile, is it me, or is the wig actually somewhat better and less like a '60s pelt? I think this you're year? having sort of wig home syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I was it sincerely asking. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pr- it's still pretty bad. Like, <laughs> I, there's nothing wrong with Corey Stoll with a shaved head. Like, I don't. I I I have gotten people have said stuff like it's a thing in the books. Like, I don't know, his hair is eventually going to fall out, and that's a plot point or something. But like, I, it needs to hurry up and happen because this is silly. I think he shaves it off to like blend in or something. I don't know. I, I haven't oh. read the book, so I don't know what happens. But I, that's does my he theory. also shave off his nose? <laughs> <laughs> they all seem to be lacking that that too. He glue some fake worms to his face like hey guys yeah he he's the biggest <laughs> pro- the, even more than the the weird What's vampire up, effects he's a big problem for me like it's hard to invest in him as a protagonist i don't really they, care if he succeeds he's a dick they've tried to loosen him up this season by giving him a drinking problem like hey he's more fun and charming when he's drinking and that doesn't really work right it's it's fun cory <laughs> Like fun Bobby. Yeah, like fun Bobby. Yeah. Uh, I will say this for the show, and I think this is where it succeeds. I think anybody who was a kid and like really was into like something like Fangoria magazine is going to dig this show. And I think like that's where Del Toro comes from. Like, I think that's a lot of his influences, that sort of thing, where it is uh, something really gross for its own sake. And I think you're either you're kind of into that or you're not. Like, for some people, that is fun and for me yeah and that's uh, good yeah and i think i think i think that is good for me a lot of the people that were in fangoria mag okay here's the fangoria magazine uh lover from the 1980s and um, i'm going to uh cite people from my high school without using their names but these were the kind of people that you know were kind of latchkey kids and the kind of people that may or may not have in the future ended up in jail for uh (laughs) for doing things with animals um, so I think it appeals to that crowd and, and Omar. And then where Omar? are we right now? Yeah, well, that is a key so demo. <laughs> this, is, this is an intervention. So, yeah. no, uh, no, but I, I get, I, I get. If you're into, if you're into to to being grossed out, um, then that is good. But the thing I find about this show is it's not mixing genuine scares with the grossness. You know, like uh, Walking Dead which I think this compares unfavorably to. Um, That's not really a fair comparison. It's, it's well, they're both really ho- hard for it. No, I mean, I take your point, but it's like, I think the budget on Walking oh, Dead is probably 16 times what they're Absolutely. But I'm saying it does a good job with sort of, uh, like the effect quality aside, it does a good job uh, uh, matching uh, kills, thrills, and spills with actual scary moments, you know, that are actually genuinely arresting i find as more as this one is more of a straight gross out and that's a choice yeah and i think that's fine maybe just not for me and more for omar who loves doing like terrible things to cats <laughs> i also think well, the difference for, with allegedly the, with the strain is that it's trying to like i i understand omar your point that it's like it's more of a fun summer series and that it's it's ethos seems to be more anything more everything like there's so many different kinds of vampires and like things happening in multiple storylines whereas the walking dead is a it's a smaller it's a it's, the story is smaller in scope i think i want the strain well, to be a, more like blade 2 which he directed sarah what were you saying uh well i think the other difference is that um 
The Walking Dead is like, this is a contagion. This is a disease, and we're looking at the aftermath of a pandemic. This is more like a um, like Vampire Diaries prequel, whatever that was called, the originals, mm. where once you get into like the origin story of a master race of vampires, I kind of shut down. Like I am interested in the dystopian effects, but I would rather watch, and I don't really watch The Walking Dead either, but I would rather watch that sort of as a, like what happens downstream to society if this kind of outbreak occurs versus there's, you know, someone in sweat socks and a body stocking pulling the strings from behind the scenes. Like uh, that's a little less interesting to me. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just, I mean, it's just my take on it. Ditto blade two for sure. I agree with Dave. And I also think that the more apt um, comparison we may see in a few weeks will be to fear the walking dead, which seems to be set at like uh, that yeah. point mm-hmm. in the uh, Walker outbreak. Well, but. there's still hope. Right, yeah, but, and I'm sure we will have Omar back to talk about that because he's covering that for us as well. Yeah. Oh, joy. Yay. <laughs> All right, everybody, this is an extra hot, great micro. Oh. Today we're talking about our favorite television carries. I'll start us off. My favorite TV carry is the one from Homeland because it just can't get enough of that smooth, smooth jazz. Oh, my favorite TV Carrie is Carrie Bradshaw from the Carrie Diaries because she had the best outfits. R.I.P. the Carrie Diaries. My favorite TV Carrie is Carrie Brownstein from Portlandia because she's funny and she can rock a guitar and Slater Kinney. My favorite Carrie is the Carrie from Little House on the Prairie who falls on her face in the opening credit. But <laughs> if you ask Mark, Owen, and Annabelle, the best Carrie isn't on TV. It's Carrie Clarity. <laughs> So make sure to wish her a happy birthday on July 23rd. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Carrie. Carrie. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now Domer Domer. having listened to it. (laughs) Uh, Domer and Happy Birthday Carrie (laughs) are two delayed response (laughs) items for this week. Tara, let's talk about Under the Dome. Okay. Um... This week, we learned from Christine Price, the Mark Helgenberger character, that apparently there's a danger that if she doesn't get her plan in order, the dome is going to calcify and everyone in it is going to suffocate. Please (laughs) let that happen. This has never been established before. Um, I'm not sure if her end game is to get everyone back in their cocoons, because um, there was also this whole thing about there's amniotic fluid in the caverns that's also drying up, and there's only a limited amount, oh. but they're supposed to coat some what? of the really resistant people with it somehow. Wait, I have a question. Please. Where is the where is it drawing calcium from in order to calcify? Um, space? Okay. I don't know. Uh the uh, the only good character on this season of Under the Dome is a dog that uh, has attached itself to Big Jim. He's named it Indy. I feel like we're going to find out eventually that it's carrying the spirit of his dead wife, played by Sherry Stringfield. Oh but God. that hasn't come oh, out Jesus. yet. That's just my suspicion. Because there's no pink? other reason for the dog to be that close to Big Jim. But the, the episode ends with him locked in a cage, Shades of Lost. And then he's like, but please just give me a dog because they were getting information out of it by threatening the, to cut the dog's throat. And then they didn't. And he was like, give me my dog. And then they did. What kind of evil geniuses are these? Don't give a man his dog. Give him, make him hopeless. Come on. Um, anyway, under the dome. Wow. Still, still really dumb. <laughs> that sounds amazingly terrible. But I love it. A plus to the dog. Yeah. Give the dog a spinoff. Oh, my God. 
It's time to go around the dial. Everybody's going to bring something from TV they've been watching recently. We're going to start with Sarah. Um, I've been watching a lot of In Search Of recently. Um, that's the Leonard Nimoy-hosted investigation series that I am marathoning for the summer. Um, in this and in uh, our esteemed colleague Monty Ashley's Wonder Woman coverage, you uh, really get a window into the kinds of things that were preoccupying uh, the culture in the late 70s like... The idea that various kinds of killer bees and ants were going to swarm North America and (laughs) kill us all. I remember that. Um, People pretending to be other people who had been killed like 30 or 50 years before, like Mm. the Lindbergh baby and Princess Anastasia. Sure. Uh, And cloning. Like they were very, very into the idea, but also very scared of it. And the In Search Of episode uh, that was in the set I covered today at Previously.TV did not really get into the fact that the specific problem people seem to have in the late 70s was that Hitler might have escaped and have been cloning himself in South America for (laughs) the prior 35 years. Obviously, it's true. (laughs) Yeah, there were like several books that turned into like movies and TV movies and so on about it. And they didn't really touch on this in the episode. They're just like, someone made this mouse that has all different colors of fur. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Hitler. That's not the problem. (laughs) Hitler is the problem. Hitler is always the problem. They didn't really touch on that. Um, It's just sort of an interesting window. Like there's also like the crazy outfits and that sometimes Leonard Nimoy's tight pants are awesome. And other times it's like whatever sympathy groin clutching because they're so tight and it's not okay (laughs) but it's like watching old episodes of chips and like that trying escargot was like a go-to source of humor (laughs) for like five years it was the 70s mcdlt or sushi (laughs) from the 80s yes sushi raw fish those goldfish (laughs) goldfish Goldfish tending sandal wearers. Goldfish wearing sandal tenders. <laughs> Next t-shirt. Nope. Was there anything about Sarah? Was there anything about like uh, energy crisis stuff? Like were they preoccupied with the you know with the end of of oil and energy? From- um, sort of vaguely. I just um, completed an episode about dowsing. Oh, oh. sure. Um, which that, that's contained real, a um biometric machinery hippie named Don who had this machine, which was completely ridiculous. It looked like um, the robot from short circuit, Mm -hmm. like his front panel. This guy had a beard that was bigger than my house. And like that kind of thing, like finding resources and like we can harness tornadoes. Uh, Nope. Like there is an undercurrent of that, but I think it's going to be more like in seasons five and six when we ran the corner into the eighties. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Dowsing is such a weird thing. I can't, it's, it like continues to be a thing in this, in our time. Cause we knew someone who have, who still have a cottage, um, in the thousand islands and they needed to dig a well and they got a dowser to come and like douse the property in the nineties. Like, and it worked. Like, I don't understand. It's, it's very strange. Uh, the thousand point islands, out. are they searching for instead of water salad dressing? Or? <laughs> uh, before we move, move on, on, I need to point out that, uh, uh, Sandal wearing goldfish tenders is a Mr. Burns line from it The is. Simpsons that I like to pull out whenever we yes. mention our Japanese friends. <laughs> it does not reflect Dave's actual views on the Japanese. No. Or does it? <laughs> 
It doesn't. Tara. <laughs> I just want to give a quick shout out to the Astronaut Wives Club. I've been covering it this summer. Kim uh, subbed on one episode. Kim Reed, our, our dear friend, had also subbed on one episode this season. Um, it's a, it's such a pleasant summer show. Really the opposite kind of summer show from The Strain. Um, if you are interested in the story of the space race, um, but wish it was less man-focused, uh, the Astronaut Wives Club might be for you. It's in It's offers a lot of interesting perspectives on the history. It's based on a, on a nonfiction book about the actual astronaut wives, the Mercury wives, and now the Gemini wives are a thing as well. Um, the costumes are Mwah! like, I can't, there's no word to describe how gorgeous they are. All of them So is amazing. the food. Oh my God. Sorry. Uh, Tara sent me a screenshot of some cupcakes that I was like, can you just bring those over? I'll be here. <laughs> yeah. is, is the food like, like from the food cards of the era? Yes. Well, yeah. some of, some of them are just, it's just good looking food. And yeah. then the character, um, Betty Grissom played by Joanna Garcia Swisher is also into clever food. So there's an earlier episode where she makes a uh, cheese, porcupine which is just like a cheese ball with like crackers sticking out of it like (laughs) so cute sorry super cute sounds more like a cheese stegosaurus kind of you know i don't know how how big dinosaurs were at the time but anyway uh (laughs) it's a it's a it's like it's a very abc show it airs at eight o'clock and you feel it the whole way through like there's hints about unsavory stuff but even the guy who is totally fucking around on his wife with every tramp in Cocoa beach like gets his marriage affirmed at the end of it because i assume their real descendants are watching it but even despite what is probably some elision of real history uh it's a very pleasant way to pass an hour so i recommend it good on abc for giving that another shot after pan am yeah well yes and i interviewed one of the stars of the show aaron cummings who plays marge slayton in this and previously has guest starred on all of get ready mad men and pan am and this wow um so yeah she's she's, locked it in she's she plays a lot of 60s ladies Mm -hmm. all right omar what do you got a tig on netflix um Tig is a documentary about the comedian Tig Notaro. It was just added to Netflix on Friday. And it's not to be confused with Knock Knock, it's Tig Notaro, which was a sort really of travel log. Yeah, hmm? we watched it. It's on Showtime if you get that. It's really, really worth it. It's super, really funny. Funny. super funny. And uh, yeah. who's the guy? John, John, John Doerr, Doerr, right? Yeah, what a, yeah. if you don't know about John Doerr, what a revelation that one will be for you. Yes, it's delight. But anyway, back to Tig. Not to be confused. Go ahead, Omar. So TIG is actually a documentary about uh, her famous cancer set at Largo, where she revealed that she had cancer and had just lost her mother and had had a breakup and had had C. diff, which kind of messes up your insides. Um, That was a very famous stand-up set that she did, uh, I think, in 2012, 2013. And the documentary tells you kind of everything that led up to that and everything that happened after that, uh, up to and including her getting engaged and and trying to adopt a child. Um, So it's kind of a... Uh, just a look at her. And if, if you're not a fan of Tignatara, if you don't think she's funny, this is not the thing that's going to convince you that she's hilarious. It's it's pretty light on the comedy, uh, more heavy on the drama of what was going on in her life. But it is a really good lead up to her stand-up special that's going to be on HBO next month called Boyish Girl Interrupted on August 22nd. And I actually did see that, uh, one of the performances on that tour um, when she was uh, performing it. And oh, awesome. It is, phenomenal if you yeah. if it's anything like what i saw uh when she was in austin it is an amazing stand-up set so uh tig is really about her kind of building her stand-up act back up after that cancer set where she sort of burned through that material and couldn't really go around the country continuing to perform that <laughs> uh, like i have cancer yeah we know um, <laughs> what a drag <laughs> 
And but she's great. I mean, I'm a big fan of hers from the Professor Blastoff podcast and just her in general. I think she's phenomenal. Uh, but uh, yeah, check it out. It's on Netflix. It's it's about an hour and a half. It's it's a uh, not a great documentary, but it does give you a lot of insight into who she is and why that set at Largo was um, was a kind of a landmark. Oh, I'm glad it's good. I wanted to watch that. That's good yeah, to know. It's, it's a good watch. Sweet. All right. Wrapping us up on Around the Dial. Uh, remember from a few months ago, maybe, we yeah. were doing a Will Dave Hate This on Tut. Tut, Tut. Yeah, uh, on Spike, the Egyptian three-part miniseries with Ben Kingsley and others. <laughs> uh, your Et friend L. Nonzo Anosi from all of your favorite shows, from Dracula Blah. to Zoo, yep, to this. Yeah, he's he's there playing a uh, military uh, general dude. Uh, this is a snooze. It is not good. Not even uh, Sir Ben Kingsley can elevate uh, this snooze fest. Uh, for such a rich, uh, you know, piece of history, they sure made this dull. And I don't know what the hell is going on with the casting. There is like, uh, I mean, first of all, everybody's skin color is kind of wrong for what actually it was. That Tut was pretty dark skinned. He wasn't actually uh, kind of uh, light brown. He's not, he wasn't he wasn't coffee cream. Um, yeah, I think the actor who's playing him is of Indian heritage. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, but anyways, uh, a snooze fest. You can uh, safely avoid tut. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, just today, just this morning, a uh, um, lady on Twitter named Natalie has started a one-woman campaign to get me to change my thinking that Gene Belcher is the Pierce of Bob's Burgers. <laughs> She's been sending me evidence throughout the day, <laughs> links to articles, jokes. And stuff to convince me that Gene is 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 in fact a, a, a necessary character on Bob's Burgers. So she's just started her campaign today. Will Dave unpierce this? Exactly. So we'll I'll I'll update you on the podcast. I'll let you know if 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 my mind has changed. So far, uh, it has not. And uh, in case you're you're new to the podcast, one. The Pierce is a concept we develop, which is basically the Pierce is named after Pierce Hawthorne from a, a, not a community. Recipe, community. Um, and it is the one character you can extract from a show without uh, degrading the quality of the show. It doesn't necessarily mean the character is super terrible, Just although that, that is often the case. Extraneous. Yes. And uh, Pierce, uh, as we found out, actually was the Pierce of the show. They were able to remove him and to the benefit of the show, probably, I would say. Um, and I think that Gene is like not a terrible character. It's not like Gene doesn't grind on me. I just think Gene could be lifted from the show and not really much would change. And I was trying to put this in in uh, in a tweet back to her, like why exactly I think that and I, in 140 characters. <laughs> Gene, for me, is a dumping ground for punch-up on that show. Mm. And that's sort of like his function. And that's why, like, if he lifted him out, it wouldn't really affect the show that much, except everybody would be wondering where their boy is. But that's, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, we'll keep tabs on that. Natalie, keep them coming. Um, I'll let you know if, uh, how, you know, what what she's arguing for and, uh, you know, and uh, if it changes my mind. Are you sure this is a woman named Natalie and not a man named Eugene Merman? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I checked out. I checked her out. She's, okay, yeah, she's yeah. legit. Yeah, she's legit. She didn't just create. You're not this being account. catfished by like Natalie. Oh no. <laughs> well, Jeanfish. Hmm. Uh oh. I'll look into that. Hi, extra hot, great listeners. This is Daniel Blau, aka Daniel Rogie, aka Jennifer Stewart, aka <laughs> DJB. 
kids, ask your parents. Every week <laughs> since the invention of the human voice, the first two podcasts I listen to are this one, Extra Hot Great, and NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. First, because they're both hilarious and discuss all of the TV, film, and pop culture things I'm interested in, and also some things I didn't even know about, like romance novels. Stop trying to expose me to new things, Linda. Just kidding. <laughs> Second, these two podcasts are chock full of people I've known and loved since we all worked at the internet's first port of call for moo-moo-wearing Sorkin haters everywhere, (laughs) television without pity. So many of us got our start on that site and went on to become writers, producers, showrunners, and, in my special case, a soulless reality TV network sellout. Thank God. So... To put some good back in the universe, I started running marathons and raising money for the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. A few weeks back, your EHG overlords asked you to donate to this important cause and you responded in overwhelming numbers. But we've just gotten started. So go to previously.tv slash rundanrun to keep the donations coming. And in thanks, I'll run 26.2 miles in the New York City Marathon... I'll put the top three contributors on a special listener game time on a future Extra Hot Great, and I'll make your least favorite reality show disappear from the TV airwaves (laughs) forever. (laughs) Just kidding about the last one. Ad time donated by the Schachter Foundation, which came to EHG through the aforementioned pop culture happy hour. That's previously.tv slash rundanrun. Donate today, and thanks. All right, everybody, it is time for the canon, and Omar is going to pitch us something. Omar, what do you got? Yeah, let's get ready to get depressed. Um, (laughs) I am submitting The Walking Dead, Season 4, Episode 14. It's called The Grove. And uh, when I wrote about this episode for Previously.TV, when it aired, um, the headline that I used was, They Went There. (laughs) Uh, This is an episode that's very memorable for fans of The Walking Dead because it, it might be the nadir as far as how dark the show can get it is uh, a pretty devastating episode i think it spotlights uh, the best that the show can do in terms of pushing the drama as hard as possible um so we'll get into why in, in just a minute um but i'll also say this is uh, an episode that was written and directed by showrunner scott gimple who's been responsible for some of the show's better episodes he did the episode clear which is also one of my favorites um that featured um rick and with a person that he met in the very first episode, and it, it's kind of a bottle episode, very few characters, uh, one sustained storyline through the whole episode. And uh, this episode, The Grove, is like that. It, it focuses on just a few of the characters. There's no Rick in this episode. There's no Carl. Uh, it focuses on Carol, Tyrese, and two young girls, uh, the Samuels sisters, who they meet in the prison uh, previously. So let's get into the episode. It, it starts with a very creepy scene in in which the camera scrolls across an empty kitchen a tea kettle is going and outside a window we can see that a young girl is being chased in slow motion by a zombie that she seems to be playing with um clip one So 
that's the cold open. It goes right into the opening credits, but uh, it's a song called Maybe You'll Think of Me by the Ink Spots, and it sort of sets the tone. This is going to be a really creepy episode. This is going to be an episode that's very unusual from the typical Walking Dead format, and uh, it goes right from that into a scene where Lizzie, who has been adopted uh, basically by Carol from the prison, they've all split off from the other groups, uh, are having a conversation while Tyrese and Micah sleep nearby. Micah is Lizzie's sister. Uh, Lizzie asks if Carol has kids, and or if she did have kids before the apocalypse. And Carol says that she did, a daughter, and says that she didn't have a mean bone in her body. And Lizzie says, well, is that why she's not here? And that sort of sets up the brutality of the rest of the episode that uh, is the universe of The Walking Dead, after what's happened, a place for children? Is it a place where children who are not hardened killers can survive? Uh, Tyrese, who was just sleeping nearby with um, Micah, uh, he's been taking care of Judith, who is Rick's baby child. Um, They were able to get out of the prison and split off from the group, and now they're all by themselves. And this whole episode focuses just on them. Uh, he sees a walker on a, rail, a set of railroad tracks and is about to go take it out. And just as he is, uh, Lizzie, Lizzie stops him and tells him not to kill the zombie. Uh, clip two. Sometimes we have to kill them. I know that. Sometimes we don't. So this clues you in, uh, if you haven't seen the previous episodes, that Lizzie has some issues with zombies. She believes that they still have feelings, that they still uh, know stuff. She thinks that it's wrong to kill them because they're just like us. And that is not a great worldview to have uh, in this post-apocalyptic world. And it's something that had been alluded to in previous episodes all the way back to the prison. She had been feeding rats to zombies and giving them names. And, and it's just she's just not right when it comes to knowing how to survive in this world. And her sister, on the other hand, understands what's going on, but she has a different problem. She uh, cannot kill people. She cannot be convinced that it's wrong to kill other people, even if they're evil, even if they're trying to kill everyone. And this is a theme that is running through the show, that it's not the zombies that you have to worry about in the apocalypse, it's other people when they turn bad. So um, let's do clip three. My mom used to say, everything works out the way it's supposed to. Yeah, maybe not so much. Uh, Carol is... <laughs> where's, where's your mom? One might ask. <laughs> yeah, Carol is trying to convince Micah that she's eventually she's going to have to start killing people to defend herself, that she's going to have to learn how to shoot. Um, and there's a scene where she's trying to get her to shoot a deer so that they can eat, and she can't do it. Um, Micah is soft. She can't uh, bring herself to be that person. And uh, that is... Um, not going to be good for her in the future. Uh, we see a lot of things in the episode that are, you know, are creepy, that aren't necessarily part of the story, but that add to uh, the tone and that add to the creepiness factor. There's a grave that they find at this house that they get to, uh, a baby's grave with a pair of brown, bronze shoes tied to it. Um, while they're there, a zombie falls out of a window and attacks the girls, and Lizzie freaks out uh, while she's holding the baby, but Micah ends up shooting it, uh, which is kind of a step in the right direction. Uh, but Lizzie is still upset that they killed a zombie and uh, has named the zombies and uh, is continuing to have problems dealing with reality. Um, so later on, we come back to that tea kettle moment that was shown at the very beginning of the episode. Um, Carol looks out the window and sees that Lizzie is playing with a zombie, kind of running around teasing it. Um, and she goes out to uh, try to shoot the zombie and save Lizzie. And then this happens. Clip four. You get away from it! No, 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 no,
was playing with me. She wanted a friend. She wanted to kill you. I was going to lead her away. You could have died. It's the same day you killed her. You killed her. It's the same day. What if I killed you? What if I killed you? You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. This is like a Saturday at my house, <laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> are you the zombie? <laughs> I feel like my kids are always trying to kill me. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! Uh, So... Do Again, it. this points out that the, Lizzie has a major problem with. with <laughs> wait, 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 wait! What who's, was that? Whose ringtone is "Cat Party"? That that is my ringtone. Sorry. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, let's put that off. Sorry. Omar, uh, we're now moving yeah. you from yeah. the Fangoria circle back into mainstream culture. Congratulations, you're off the list. So anyway. I'll just turn that off. So anyway, so Liz, uh, again, Lizzie has major problems dealing with reality. And Carol knows this. Carol worries about this. And as sort of the, the mama hen of the girls, uh, Carol knows that if she doesn't teach them this right from wrong, if she doesn't teach them how to survive, they are not going to make it through this world. And meanwhile, the group is getting very comfortable at this house that they found in the woods. Uh, Tyrese, Carol are starting to talk about whether maybe this would be a good place to stay. It's it's pretty well fortified. There's the occasional zombie, but they think they can handle that. The girls really like it there. They, there's pecan trees and peaches and deer. And they think, well, maybe we don't have to go to Terminus, which is sort of the destination that all of the characters are trying to get to. They think maybe we can stay here. Maybe this is fine. Maybe we can survive here. Uh, Tyrese and Carol even have a moment where they're joking around with each other and thinking that uh, they could build a life here together. They're not romantically involved, but who knows? So things are starting to look up. The girls seem uh, like they're going to be thriving here. Uh, Carol even makes a joke about deer nuts and beer nuts. That's very amusing. Uh, But then they come back, having left the girls alone for just a few minutes, and something really, really, really horrible happens. They find Lizzie holding a knife. Her sister Micah is on the ground, dead, stabbed to death. 
and the baby, Judith, is nearby watching this all. Uh, clip five. Don't worry. She'll come back. I didn't hurt her brain. show you you'll see you'll finally get it we have to wait Lizzie, put the gun down i just want us to wait we can't wait we can wait you just give me the gun we can wait i swear You and Tyree should take Judith back. It's not safe for her. But Judith can change too. I was just about. She can't even walk yet. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, Lizzie was about to kill the baby as well. Um, so, yeah, this is really, really horrible. Um, Carol breaks down as soon as that happens, and now comes the even more horrible part where they have to decide what to do with Lizzie. Uh, Carol and Tyrese have a conversation um, about what happens next. They're all together in this house, and they decide that maybe it's not a good idea for Lizzie to be around. Clip six. She can't be around other people. Maybe we could try to help her. Talk her back somehow. Is this how she is? was already there. I didn't see it. So, um, they have to make a very hard decision, which is another ongoing theme of The Walking Dead, is having to make impossible decisions uh, that nobody was ever prepared to make uh, pre-apocalypse. Um, Carol takes Lizzie out into a field, um, and Lizzie starts to break down crying and apologizing, not about what happened, but just because she thinks she's in trouble. She thinks that she's upset Carol. Um, she still believes that her sister, uh, will come back. Um, and, uh, clip seven. I'm sorry. Please don't be mad at me. I'm sorry. You just, just look at the flowers, Lizzie. So that happens. Um, Thanks, Omar. <laughs> You're a peach. So uh, Lizzie's dead. Um, and uh, But in most shows, that would have been the end of the episode. It would have cut to black, and that would have been the end. Uh, there's still a whole conversation that Carol and Tyrese have to have, not just about this, but about what happened previously when Carol killed Karen, 
who was Tyrese's girlfriend back in the prison. Uh, Tyrese didn't know that this happened. He's been blaming other people and trying to figure out who did it. And Carol decides that this is the moment that she has to confess and tell Tyrese what happened and ask his forgiveness. And he does give her that forgiveness and says that she has to live with this the way she has to live with Lizzie's death, the way she has to live with everything else that's happened. And, uh, he does forgive her. He says he won't forget, but that it's going to be a part of both of them. And then they decide that they, of course, can't stay any longer. We see a montage of uh, a doll on the floor, the tea kettle, all the things that were previously uh, things that looked very comforting about this place, but now are haunted. And so they end the episode just leaving and going toward Terminus. Um, this episode is really important in The Walking Dead, uh, not just in that it's a dramatic kick in the guts, uh, not just that it's one of the more depressing and dramatic episodes of the show, but it did mark a turning point for both of these characters. It turned Carol into a, a hardened uh, person who's willing to do anything to help the group survive. It haunted Tyrese until his last days uh, in the episode where he ends up dying later on. He, they actually appear, Lizzie and Micah appear as sort of uh, apparitions or ghosts, not real ghosts, but just in his mind. Uh, kind of haunting what happened from there. So uh, this was an episode that had reverberations beyond just this one episode. It's not something that happened and they forgot about it. It kept on resonating and, and that it was uh, something that was led up to, you know, from the beginning of the season with those characters. Um, I think it's just a very strong example of what The Walking De Dead does best when it's got good actors and a very impossible situation, something you really haven't seen on television before. This was adapted directly from the comics, but in the comics, the characters were boys, and in the end, Carl was the one who ended up uh, killing uh, the Lizzie's stand-in. Uh, so they changed that for the show, um, I think, to great effect. I think they actually improved on that storyline from the comics and uh, created an episode that's pretty unforgettable, uh, whether you, uh, you don't leave with a good feeling after this episode, but you definitely remember it. And I think it's a good example of what The Walking Dead does best or worst, depending on your point of view. And I, that is my submission to the canon. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, as soon as I read the description of it, I thought, oh, it's this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, same. I was like, oh, please, no. Uh, oh. Uh, I, but I, I mean, as soon as I saw it, I realized that, yeah, this is obviously a really solid choice. What sets The Walking Dead apart from other post-apocalyptic shows for me is that it actually thoughtfully considers all of the issues that would come into play if you were in a situation like this. Um, you know, obviously none of us hope we we're in a zombie apocalypse, but th like this is something that would probably come up. How would it fuck up kids? And how far would you have to indulge their ideas in order to try and preserve their childhood versus toughening them up and making them, able to survive in this reality and Carol has always been my favorite character and this only cements it because it's I mean I think she doesn't love what she has to do but the, the that scene where she I mean you only clipped a little bit of it but the conversation where she and Tyrese are talking through the options of like well what if I just became Carol just became Lizzie's guardian and like we'll just go off on our own and never be around people again like that's the only option really to keeping her alive versus like how is is it more important to protect this one child versus you know rejoining a group and being part of a larger collective for the sake of survival like these are not fun conversations to have but they're exactly the kind of conversations you would probably have to have um and i think this episode handles them really uh 
thoughtfully and horribly um, in equal measure as it has to. Uh, I also can't help thinking that as I was watching it this second time, I thought, well, that's a kind of smart way to deal with the problem of your kids are going to age past the point the actors are going to age past the point where you can keep using them. So this is a pretty splashy way to get rid of them. Oh, I thought of that. Yeah. I'm sure that's a yeah. consideration. I mean, see also Walt from Lost, where it's like, then he comes back and like, oh, he was much taller. Like, okay. Um, and you know, it's funny when they, when they brought them back for that Tyrese episode, they did look older. In well, episode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're pretty little at this point. They're, they look to me, I would have, I would guess like nine and 12 maybe. Um, so those are going to be prime growth years. Like if you take a year off between seasons, you can't have these girls back. But also thinking that just made me also think, how does being on this show fuck up these child actors? Like (laughs) how much do they have to soft soap the actual production of an episode in order to shield them? Like, I guess there's really no way you can make them think they're doing something else for, for the scene where, you know, that's Lizzie actually kids her sister, kills her sister. But yeah. Uh, intensivo, but yeah, excellent pick. I, I, uh, appreciate the, it's hard to say that I love this episode because that would be fucked up, but I appreciate the way it raises these issues and how it handles them. So excellent choice. Good job, Sarah. Um, I did not take a single note, um, which is probably all I have to say about it. Like, even though I, uh, knew it was going to be this episode, knew it was going to happen. Uh, I think I edited this uh, um, particles when you turned it in, uh, which uh, everyone listening, you should go to previously.tv and read Omar's coverage mm-hmm. of this episode. It's very well done. Um, so I knew what was coming, but I still was like completely just engaged with it on the screen and not like not distracted by anything not taking any notes, just like in the world of a show that I don't watch. So I'm spoiled. I'm not a regular viewer and I'm still completely sucked in. Um, One thing that I did think of sort of just now while we were listening to the clips is how often, um, and this is just like a hazard of the medium that uh, TV and also film characters who are uh, mentally unwell or not um, in range, let's say, tend to have these, like, there is this, like, ticky shorthand for it. It's always very, like, big. Um, There's a lot of muttering. Um, This is, I think, one of the better portrayals of, like, this mental illness that she's just, she's just gotten, either was always a little bit off chemically or got bent by her circumstances somehow. Um, and I think it's really well written and well rendered by the actress, uh, especially one so young. And, you know, given what I assume she was told by the director and her acting coach about what she's actually doing, that was not an easy job. Um, and I, you know, tip of many hats to the show for that because it's a, you know, you usually have a much like less dimensional portrayal of, of uh, mental illness or just sort of, a fugue or having snapped or whatever it is, but this is really well done and sort of, you can see how Carol and Tyrese could have let themselves be in denial about yeah. who, who she, how she is. And that I love that conversation that they're just sort of like talking past each other. Like they both already know that she has to like be destroyed, mm-hmm. but they don't want it to be true. So excellent pick. Um, I don't, 
really feel like I want to revisit this hour of TV again. But yeah, it's it's a really good it's really good storytelling. Really good storytelling. Cat party. <laughs> I have nothing to add that you guys uh, haven't about this episode. Um, on uh, a larger view, why Carol isn't in charge of the group instead oh of God. Rick Grimes, Seriously. I'll never know. Because although, you know, that was a terrible thing to have to do, it's like the kind of shit you got to do to survive, you know, this terrible like a boss, situation. Which yeah. she should be, totally. And it also raises the question, though, of like, why is Judith still hanging around? That's That baby is a liability. Oh. Sorry, Judith, but let's be real. Well, Continue, it's Dave. hard to, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere. You can, you? you can still work on that one. Although, like, that's she, that's going to be interesting, like, you know, if they, at the end of the series, do like a, a Six Feet Under style, you know, death scenes. Like, <laughs> yeah. what does Judith end up like? Because she is a person that knows, knows nothing no- else, yeah. right? She yeah. is sort of like, you know, the millennials are to the internet as Judith is to zombies. <laughs> Just never knew a world without it. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect And she's analogy. so entitled. Oh, this <laughs> Or an owl swoops down like in the season premiere next year and yeah. plucks her out of someone's arms and then problem solved. Yeah. Especially for the owl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, I keep on expecting, like, if, if, if Jack, this was a Jackie Chan film, Judith would be like the thing that is juggled throughout a fight scene. Yes. You know, yep. there's always like, you know, yeah. it's about the fall. So he has to do this thing and catch her just as, you know, yes. kind of like a, like a tureen of soup. Yeah. But she's a baby. So anyway, anyway, uh, all, all my points you guys made, I just wanted to put it in a pitch for her as the leader of the group because Rick Grimes, you know, he, uh, you know, just has, he just vacillates between, you know, capital L leader and just capital G give up guy. Yeah. And uh, Carol, she's got the eye of the tiger. Yep. And, uh, you know, this was a terrible episode in which to demonstrate that. You know, a terrible way to have to demonstrate it. But, you know, this is kind of one of the one of the big practicalities of living in the zombie universe. You know, uh, that shit can't, can't stand. Yep. So mm-hmm. uh, a punch to the gut of an episode. But I think a great episode. Let's put it to a vote. Tara. Oh, absolutely. Yay. Sarah. Yay. Yeah. The Walking Dead. This music's weird for this. <laughs> Season 4, Episode 14, The Grove. You're hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Canon. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Yeah. It's time for Winner and Loser of the Week. Sarah has our winner. Uh, colonists and the insomniac rich people who love them. <laughs> That's right, folks. Despite getting a like point oh 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 three share turn, Washington's bores has been renewed. Uh, per Variety, quote the show's numbers in affluent homes with annual incomes above one hundred thousand dollars grew significantly during the second season. That's crazy. Uh, no word on whether uh. People who tuned to the show stayed awake through the whole thing, but I guess uh, it doesn't really matter to Lexus Corp. Anyway, uh, congrats to uh, the Culper Ring and all their yeah. lady adherents. <laughs> been talking a lot of, loser. Talking a lot about Venn diagrams in this episode. What's the Venn diagram with six-year-old dudes who love to read those, was that guy John McCullough uh, oh, novels? Yes. You know, John Adams, 1776 uh-huh. and all that. Yeah. And this show. I'm thinking 90% overlap. And For that's sure. where this. Yeah, there's maybe a fingernail outside yeah. the. 
These are people yeah. who only have TVs so that they can watch this show. But I, yeah, this, the press release that we got about it said it was the third most affluent show in either on TV or in cable. And I think I recall reading earlier that like Orphan Black was the number one most affluent show. So really? that's a weird, that's a weird spread. Huh. That is surprising. I might be misremembering that. Don't quote me on it. Okay. That's, that's my recollection. Tara, loser. Ooh, well, early last week, uh, NBC announced that it was going to move Aquarius, which it already dumped all of the episodes on on demand, like at the end of May. And Hannibal, which had been airing after it on Thursday nights at... And why don't they just do that to it? I don't know. Hello? But yes, they, moved, they had been airing on uh, Thursday nights at 9 and 10, respectively. And then NBC was like, psych, we're moving them to Saturdays because whatever. Um, and replace them with a Dateline rerun that outdrew them more than double, apparently. (laughs) So immediately reinforced NBC's decision on that one. But yeah, rough times for Aquarius and Hannibal. However, since we're on the subject, um, if you wanted to fly to Canada to watch episodes of Hannibal on Thursdays in their former time slot, that is something that a person might do. Neat. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings up an interesting question about uh, timetables and oh? things of the such, which is this. Do you know what time it is? Game time? That time? Ooh, <laughs> close. It is game time. You're right. First answer was right. <laughs> Okay, this is the third game time of the season. Tara and Value Guests, each one a game. Today we are playing Opposites from Rob Hartman. I think this might be the fifth game time he submitted. Good job, Rob. Yeah, and uh, special thanks to Rob this week because I what <laughs> happened was this. I had a game time from him all ready to go. So I just emailed him and said, hey, buddy, we're using this one. Thanks again. And, uh, you know, make sure to give us an extra credit uh, submission. He's like, uh, dude, you already used that one. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Yeah. So close to playing that one over so again. We, all, we almost all replayed. We didn't remember it. Fill my function. Uh, from episode 10, we almost replayed. So thanks to double thanks to Rob for <laughs> saving me from that one. Because he then, had another one in the, in, yeah, the, in the chamber. He had one that was like 95% complete. So he uh, finished that one off, updated it. And that's what we're playing today. Opposites. All right. So how I does, say you should give Rob two extra credits. I think that you are correct. So let's do that. Thank you, Rob. Two credits, Rob. Let me know. Uh, All right. In Opposites, you will be given the name of two actors who star in shows that are opposites in some way. Oh. All right. You get the names of the actors, and you have to answer with the names of the shows. An example would be John Stamos versus Richard Mulligan. The answer would be Full House versus Empty Nest. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Awesome. Sometimes the opposites are exact, up, down, black, and white. Sure. Sometimes they are uh, more like things that come in contrasting pairs, like salt and pepper. Okay. Sometimes they're quite creative, so you have to get your uh, your noodle on. Tequila and gravy. <laughs> Two points for naming <laughs> both, both shows. If you need a hint, you can ask for the name of one of the shows by the actor. Okay. okay. So if you wanted the John Stamos show, okay, for example. got it. Uh, after that, you get one point for the one show that's left. There are 48 questions. Okay. So let's throw it to the person in control, choosing an initiative, a.k.a. Picky 3000. We will start with valued guest. All right. So let's go Omar, Sarah, and then Tara. All right. Are we ready to play opposites? Yes, sir. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Omar. Yes. Allison Janey. Janney. Janney, sorry. <laughs> Starting off really great. Versus Martin Mull. Allison um. Janney versus Martin Mull. Two shows that are opposites of each other in some way. What are Take those it. shows? You need a hint. You can ask for one of the shows by the actor. I'll get the Martin Mull hint. All right. Gonna good, ask. good call. All right. Here we go. Martin Mull show is dad's. The other one is mom. That is worth one point. All right. Good job, Omar. Sarah. Yep. Jennifer Aniston versus Robson Pinchot. Bronson Pinchot. What did I say? Robson? Robson. <laughs> versus Wade Robson Pinchot. Boy. Robson Pinchot. Oh, I, I love that guy. Yeah. Um, Shirt to come. No. Jennifer Aniston. Okay, so I believe that is Friends and Perfect Strangers. That is worth two points. Nice. Tara, here's your first one. Okay. Sam Waterston mm-hmm. versus Charlie Hunnam. Hunnam? Hunnam? Okay, I'm going to guess Law and Order. <laughs> I'll get one right. Don't worry, guys. One, one of these times I'll get I'm pair. surprised you got Waterston right. That's, mm. a, t- that's a toughie. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Law and Order versus Sons of Anarchy. Dick. <laughs> that is worth two points. Law and Order versus Sons of Anarchy. That's correct. All right. Christina Applegate. Oh, damn. <laughs> Christina Applegate versus Chris Harrison. Mm. And this is for Omar. Mm-hmm. Christina Applegate versus Chris Harrison. Uh, that would be Married with Children and The Bachelor. Married with Children versus The Bachelor is correct. Well done. All right. Stephen Collins versus Whoa. Gordon Ramsay. Ew. Um, <laughs> seventh Heaven versus Hell's Kitchen. Correct. Tara. Yeah. Juliet Lewis uh-huh. versus Jennifer Beals. Give me the Juliet Lewis show. Secrets and Lies. Hmm. Well, okay. Then the other show is... I don't know what else she's on other than... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Is she on a show called... Is her show called Proof? Okay. Secrets and Lies versus Proof. One point. All right. So we're back to Omar. Yep. Leah Michelle. Versus Larry David. <laughs> uh, Glee and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Two points. <laughs> nice. Oh, fuck me. All right. Um, Ma- <laughs> the lady who played Blossom. Maya Bialik. Yep. Versus Mary Louise Parker. This- uh, Blossom and Weeds? Blossom versus Weeds. Yep. Good piece of the guard versus the bad piece of the guard. I see. Martin Sheen versus Julia Armand. Uh, what's the Julia Armand show? The Witches of East End. Oh, uh, the West Wing. The West Wing versus the Witches of East End. One point. Rob Moreau. This is for Omar. <laughs> it's Moreau. 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 What did I say? Moreau. Moreau. He's not French. The island of Dr. Moreau. That's <laughs> Moreau. Moreau. Moro. Moro. His na- daughter is named too. Oh God, We've Dave. talked about this. Versus. <laughs> Sean. Hatosi? Hatosi. <laughs> All right, shut up. Everybody just <laughs> shut up and leave Dave alone. 
<laughs> Hitosi? Yes. Oh boy. Um Sarah knows. Who does? I'm gonna say Northern Exposure and Southland. Nice. Oh. Nice pull. Bill Paxton versus Tom Welling. Big Love and Smallville? Correct. Bring us into our first score break. Gabriel Mock? Uh, mocked, yes. Versus Danny Flattery. Flattery? <laughs> Flaherty? Flaherty? Yeah, Flaherty. Danny? Yeah, yeah. I don't know who that is, so what is that person's show? Skins. Oh, okay. Uh, suits. One point. I wish we could do this not in the morning, guys. I would be so much better if this was back in the evening. <laughs> That's like not to... accurate at all. It we would used be. to do evening records all the time. I wasn't this bad. Mm, I don't know. Are you saying you're sundowning like an Alzheimer's patient? Anyway. Sunupping? Here are the scores. I have, I have five. Omar has seven. Sarah has eight. That's it. That's the end of the game. Bye. <laughs> Yay! Oh, Steve is so sensitive. <laughs> Juliana Margulies. Nicely read. Versus Kate Walsh. Wait, who's this? Is me? Yes. Yeah, it oh, is you. Oh, Smarten oh, oh. up. Come on. Pay attention. Wait, say, say that again. Juliana Margulies. No. Juliana Margulies versus Kate Walsh. Oh, jeez. Um... Oh, okay. The good wife uh-huh. and the bad judge. Good wife versus bad judge. Correct. Monica Potter versus Tatiana Maslani. Parenthood and Orphan Black. Jason Isaacs versus mm-hmm. Nicole Berahi. The Harry? Sure. Um, Awake and Sleepy Hollow. Two points. John Slattery versus Dixie Carter. Crap. Um... John Slattery versus Dixie Carter. You can ask for a hint. Mad Men and Designing Women. <laughs> oh, two points. Number 17. It's pretty good. Phil cool. McGraw versus Edie Falco. <laughs> Tara. Doctor, oh, wait, Sarah. Sorry. Dr. Phil and Nurse Jackie. Correct. Uh, love it. Joshua Jackson yep. versus Patricia Heaton. Uh, um, fringe in the middle. Wow, that's a conceptual <laughs> nice one. Nice clue. Love that. <laughs> Lucy Liu versus Jason O'Mara. Oh, this is for for uh, Omar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lucy Liu versus Jason O'Mara. Tough one. Tough one. That is a tough one. Need a hint? What is... Um, yeah, I need the Jason O'Mara. Complications. Okay, the other one's elementary. Nice. One point. Donnie Wahlberg versus Taylor Schilling. <laughs> Sarah, Pinky loves you. Does she? Yes. Donnie hey. Wahlberg versus Taylor Schilling. Uh, I, uh, 
I don't know who Taylor shit. I need the Taylor Schilling show. Sorry. Orange is the new black. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, blue bloods is the other. Blue one. and orange, opposite sides of the color wheel. Yep. Mets colors. <laughs> I'm ashamed. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Goodwin. Yes. Versus Alicia Cuthbert. 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 Oh. Oh, Once Upon a Time and Happy Endings. Nice. <laughs> Cute. Clever. Brian Cranston versus Ellie Kemper. Kemper. Uh, Breaking Bad and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Two points. All right. Who's this? This is for Sarah. Sarah. Me. Here we go. Uh, Timothy Oliphant versus William H. Macy. Oh, Timothy off oh, for this pants and um uh, uh, justified and shameless. Yeah. Bring us into our second score break. Mm-hmm. Joel uh, Kinnaman uh-huh. versus Omar Epps. Uh, what's the Omar Epps show? Is that you asking for a hint? Yes. Resurrection. Oh. Okay, um, the killing. The killing versus resurrection. Correct. Very close game. I have twelve points. Omar has fourteen points. Sarah has fifteen points. All right, wow. nicely done, everybody. Elizabeth Moss versus Mike Vogel. This is a toughie. Mike wow. Vogel. Yeah, Mike Vogel. Yep. Or Vogel. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> Even better. Well, I, uh, I'm gonna need the Mike Vogel, but I think the other. I think I know the other one. Under the dome. Shit. Yeah. Under the dome and top of the lake. Nice. Correct. Adelaide Kane versus Billy Burke for Sarah. Adelaide Kane. Correct. Yes. Versus Billy Burke. Versus. Daddy, stop touching me. <laughs> um, can I have the Adelaide Kane show, please? Rain. Rain. Uh, shit. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> rain versus revolution. Oh, sure. All right. Oh, rain. The other rain. Oh. I would have given you information if you asked for it. Joseph Morgan versus Will Forte. Um, well, mm, give me the Joseph Morgan one. The originals. Oh, okay. The last man on earth. Mm. What? The originals versus Clone Clone High. High. Oh. Oh. Dang it. Willa Fitzgerald versus Milo Venta Margarita. (laughs) (laughs) How is he still getting work? He's been in multiple shows this summer. Everything. I know. He's awful. He's never been good in anything. No argument. And what's his last name again? Ventimiglia. Yeah, even his last name's a mess. All right. (laughs) What was the first name? Someone versus Willa Fitzgerald. This is Milo Vermicelli. (laughs) Yes. Um, Guy, <laughs> Fitzgerald. Um, I'm gonna need that one. The first one. Scream. Oh. Oh. Okay. Oh, sure. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, now it's I easy it. now. No, but it's, it's not because no one's watching this no. other show. Got an answer, Omar? Uh, no, I thought it was going to say The Whispers. The terrible show on ABC. Oh, right. After The Bachelorette. Sorry, ABC. Sarah, Nathan yep. Fillion versus Hugh Laurie. Ah. Is, could it be this easy? I guess we'll find out. Um, castle and house. <laughs> Love hey. it. Allison Williams mm-hmm. versus Meanie Driver. Oh. Mm. Wow. What the hell is the Mini Driver show? Is that a hey, request yes, for a clue? Yes, yes, About yes. a boy. Oh, girls. Good for Forgot one point. <laughs> All right. Uh, back to Omar. John, uh, sorry, eight John Benjamin versus Stephen Emil. Amel, I think. Amel, okay. This is clever. John Benjamin, comma H. Uh, what's the second one? Stephen Emil. Amel. Amel. A M E L L. Yes. Uh, I mean, what's a clue on the on that? Oh, show? okay. Oh. Uh, that shows arrow. Oh, Archer. Correct. Sarah. Cute. Everybody's yep. favorite presidential candidate, Donald Trump, <laughs> versus Kelsey Grammer. Oh. What the hell was the name of that show? <laughs> I can name other people on that show. I never watched that show. Um, The Apprentice and Boss. Yeah. yeah. Oh. The Apprentice and Boss. I miss Boss. You do miss Boss. Yeah. You're the one. I don't miss Apprentice. No. Regina Rodriguez versus Lizzie Kaplan. Regina Rodriguez? Gina Rodriguez. Gina Rodriguez. Jane the Virgin and Masters of Sex. Correct. Kat Dealey and Ashley Rickards. Cat <laughs> oh, um... Dealey. Ashley Rickards. Need a hint? Uh, yeah, the second one. Awkward. <laughs> awkward and so you think Cute. you can dance? So you think you could dance versus awkward. Audra McDonald versus Chai McBride. This is for Sarah. Uh, oh, Chai McBride. Oh, shit. Um, Audra McDonald and Chai McBride. Correct. Not sure this is right, but let's go with private practice and Boston public. Ah! Two points. All right, bring Ooh. us into our third score break. For Tara. Yep. Jennifer Gardner. Mm-hmm. Vers- uh, Garner. Garner. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Vers- what did I say? Gardner? Gardner. Yeah, well, she loves it. Uh-huh. She loves to, uh, sure. you know, separate the blossoms from the weeds. Absolutely. Versus Jamie Presley. Presley. Alias and my name is Earl. That's cute. Correct. Score break time. Let's get them scores. Still very close. Omar and I now are tied with 17 each. Sarah has 21. Wow. All right. Blackjack. So it's still anybody's game because I think everybody has four questions left. Plus a tiebreaker if we need it. Right. Omar. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. (laughs) French stuff coming at us, guys. Get ready. Get ready to make fun of me. More after Moreau. Matthew Fox. (laughs) No, that's not it. Matthew Fox (laughs) versus Fedrick. Frederic Perot? P-I-E-R-R-O-T. Perot? Perot? Yeah, Perot. Okay. Perot, probably. What's the first name? 
Matthew Fox. No, uh, I mean, oh, Frederick. Name of the Frederick Piro. Frederick Piro. Sure. Let's say yes. <laughs> you know, Freddie yeah. Pears. <laughs> Freddie P. <laughs> need a hint, Omer? Yeah, I need the second hint. The returned. Uh, and lost. Lost and returned. Yes. All right, Sarah. Claire Danes versus Yo. Steve Carell. Steve Carell? Yes. <laughs> Esteban Carell. Uh-huh. Um, Homeland and The Office. Correct. Shay Mitchell mm-hmm. versus America Fiara. Uh, give me the first show. Per- first person show. Pretty Little Liars. And Ugly Betty. Correct. For one point, Thomas Jane versus Ted Allen. (laughs) (laughs) This is for Omar. Thomas Jane versus Ted Allen. (laughs) This is very clever if it's what I think it is. Need a hit, Omar? Um, Hung and... I don't know the second one. Is it chopped? It's chopped. <laughs> oh, God. oh, I thought it would be queer eye. Oh, oh. That would have also worked, I guess. Uh, not really. Well, not that's, that's true. I suppose queers can have eyes for hungs. All right. So that was one point for Omar. <laughs> Steve Coogan versus David. Oh, my God. David <laughs> Guintoli? Guintoli. Guintoli. All right. Mm. It would be great if we knew somebody in Hawaii who could sit beside me. <laughs> and then whenever I point out something, they would pronounce it. Yeah. That would be great. That's like my dream. Teach the dog. Uh, um, could I have a hint for Steve? Steve. Martini. Wait, no, wait. Steve Coogan versus David, whatever. Gentoli. Sorry, David, the second Grim, one. Grim with two M's. Uh. Well, this is, it's a movie. 24 hour party, people? <laughs> Happyish versus Grim. Uh, oh. Okay. Tony Shaloub versus yes. Sally Field. <laughs> is this Monk and the Flying Nun? Yeah. <laughs> Hartman! <laughs> Kat Dennings versus John Cryer. This is for What's Omar. Kat Dennings. Uh, two Broke Girls and Two and a Half Men. Correct. Matt Bomer versus James Spader. White Collar and The Blacklist. Two points. Love it. Seth Rogen versus Leslie Grossman. Freaks and Geeks and Popular? Two points. All right, everybody's got one question left. Let's get the scores quickly. Okay. Um, Omar has 20 points. I have 22 points. Sarah has 25. All right. Sarah's got it, but let's do it. Martha Plimpton versus Noah Wiley. This is for Omar. Martha Plimpton versus Noah Wiley. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to need the first clue. Martha Plimpton show? Mm-hmm. Raising Hope. And Falling Skies. Raising Hope, Falling Skies. <laughs> it was like the librarian. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Siegler versus Betty White. Kelly Siegler? Yep. 
Um, may I have that hint? Cold please? Justice. Oh, I was just watching that today. Sorry, Kelly and Yolanda. Um, hot in Cleveland. Is Cold Justice versus Hot in Cleveland. And our last question for Tara. Yep. Glenn Close versus Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Damages and home improvement. Nice. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> All right, let's hear the scores. Okay, Omar has 21. I have 23. Sarah has 26. Nicely done, Sarah. Woo. All right, ready for the shits and giggles? For sure. sure. Because it's opposite day, uh, the two losers <laughs> will both get negative two day points. Oh, no! <gasps> so whoever okay. wins stays the same. Whoever okay. and everybody else gets negative two day points. <laughs> Got it. All right, first person to shout out the answer gets it. Are we ready? Yes. Billy yep. Crystal versus Courtney Cox. Billy Crystal versus Courtney Cox. <laughs> Let's feel oh, this. oh, soap and dirt. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Soap and dirt. Nice. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Sarah. Sarah. That was a really fun game. That was awesome. Yeah, Thank great. you, Rob that Hartman. Good job, that Rob. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We did some straining trying to be explaining the world of FX <laughs> vampire zombie mashup. And we looked into why we are all domer for having watched Under the Dome. We followed that up by going around the dial with stops at In Search of, Astronaut Wives Club, Tig and Tut. Tig and Tut. <laughs> Omar successfully brought us The Walking Dead's best argument for living a childless life, The Grove, for the canon. <laughs> we crowned winners <laughs> and losers of the week, and Sarah was the opposite of loser in this week's game time from <laughs> Rob Hartman. And that ties it all up at one of these. Yeah. Apiece. Remember. We're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, it's not oatmeal. Sarah D. Bunting. I can't be around other people either. And Omar Gallega. It's not a proboscis. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great. <laughs> proboscis. Now, if you'll excuse me, you all can carry on with your mental jerk-off here. I've got work to do. Capote! <laughs> Good job, team. Yay.